Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Joining you from O'Hare Airport in Chicago, where I've joined the ranks of my friends in travel purgatory. Yes, indeed, it's a good time. Nonetheless, today's episode is a very special excerpt from our patrons' After Dark Book Club. The patrons' community is a fabulous place where folks from all levels of knowledge in the sport come together and form a supportive, open, safe space to discuss all things purebred dogs. Amongst our favorite meetings are our book club conversations, where one patron selects a read from the Pure Dog Talk bookshelf, and we discuss. In this case, our youngest patron, 18-year-old dog show savant, Elliot Wenzel, leads the conversation about Pat Trotter's iconic Born to Win, Free to Succeed textbook. Required reading and, frankly, rereading for every purebred dog enthusiast, the book covers in intimate and informed detail a variety of topics central to our sport. If you, too, would like to join these uplifting and spirited discussions, join us by visiting puredogtalk.com and click the Become a Patron tab at the top of the page. I really hope you enjoy this brief sort of fly-on-the-wall introduction to this very, very special community. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over $2 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trepanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trepanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their Go Home Day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trepanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Well, Elliot, why don't you give us some history on why you picked this book? So I had always loved dogs, loved dog shows. And I had been watching, I have a large collection of Westminster DVDs. And I don't know, something has always just attracted me to Westminster, you know, with it being the show of shows and all that. And so how can you know Westminster without knowing Pat Trotter, who has won the group 11 times? She's a big part of it. So I found the book one day, just randomly scrolling through, and I bought it. Elliot, I would love it if you would give us just before you go into this, 
a teeny tiny little bit of history. I know you have said a couple times that you just got your first dog and you've been sort of following dog shows without mm -hmm. a dog for a long time. And I am exceptionally impressed with your collection of social media connections for such a young individual who has not been involved in the sport. So I would love it if you would talk to folks about how and why you chose to do that, because I think it speaks to just an incredible passion and the people that you have on your social media that actually respond to your posts, I think is really impressive. So I kind of am living by the motto, like learn from the best. Obviously these people, they've been in dogs forever and I have obviously heard of them through the DVDs or just seeing judging panels and stuff like that. And so like, I feel like these are the people I should learn from because they learned from icons in their past. And it's just, I feel like these are the people that I should go to, to learn from and talk to and just have conversations with, because just a conversation with a person, I learned so much. I just try to bring in all the knowledge I possibly can from many different places and then formulate an opinion or a look off of that. I feel like if I get opinions from people who are very well-known or prestigious or things like that, you know, I can bring all their opinions together and try to make my own, I guess. Well, and you've sought out great mentors. And I think it is a testament to our sport that the mentors you have requested to give you input have complied. And a Peggy Beisel and a Pat Lawrence and a whoever else is on your Dana Klein that are on your social media that speak to you. And I think it's so important to reach this point to everyone here and everyone around us that yes, this is an intimidating sport. Yes, it can be unbelievably clickish and obnoxious outside of our little space right here. But when you have passion and when you have clearly obvious organic passion for the sport, people in the sport respond to that. And I think that that is just the point I wanted to make from this. I will say everyone has been so welcoming. Everyone has, if I ask a question, they're always willing to answer and stuff like that. It's like people have been very welcoming and have just taught me so much and I'm forever grateful for it. You ask questions, sweetheart, instead of making statements. Giant difference. <laughs> it was like, I don't know, one of the first couple pages of the book. And it was just a quote that I thought spoke volumes about just the responsible breeder and what they do in their day to day, which was the ethical breeder lives for his dogs, not off of his dogs. And I think that's just such a valuable statement because I feel like people who look in from the outside think that dog show people just do it for money, which we all know is not true. And I think it's because I've never bred a litter. You know, it's something I strive to do in the future. But I think it's just such a great statement because it speaks to our motives of why we're doing this and what we're doing it for. Like, if we didn't love the dogs, none of us would be here today. It's because we love the dogs and we love the connections we can make with the dogs and the connections we can make with the people over the dogs. Dogs are the starting point for everything to us. Like you make new friendships through dogs. If you do breed, you become family with the people who you 
sell a puppy to. You become family with everyone you meet at the dog shows. And it's just, I think it's the community and everyone works together. And I just thought this statement was very profound and fitting to talk about the community as a whole. So into the actual dog talk, one of the other quotes I found from early on in the book, she said, breed-specific knowledge must be added to your general knowledge of the dog, history and origin of your breed, understanding the purpose for which it was bred. So when I am looking at dogs, anything like that, the thing I look at first is before I would even consider giving my input on a dog, I want to know what that dog was bred to do. Because at the end of the day, it's evaluating breeding stock. And I just feel like if you don't know the history, the origin, the purpose of that dog, you're not going to gain any of that information about why it's built the way it's built. So like I go into a point about my breed standard schnauzers and just the importance we put on the coat, because we put such a high importance on the coat and coat texture of a standard schnauzer. And looking back to purpose, it was because they were an all-purpose farm dog. And you wanted that dog to go work on the farm all day long, but not bring the farm home with them. You didn't want all those elements of the farm back in the house. Also, they had the wire coat because when they're running through the brambles in the environment, it's basically stripping the coat and it's keeping the coat in that condition. So I think that's why in my braid, at least, we put such high emphasis on the coat and coat texture because without that coat, if it had a soft coat, if you would have sent a dog with a soft coat into the woods and into the farm and the fields, that dog would bring everything back home, which, you know, is not desirable at all. So what was their original purpose? And then what physical attributes do you emphasize so highly in your breed because of that function or because of that purpose? I think often we as breeders are looking for you know, we want good temperaments, but we also want our next winner, right? And she says, and I love this, breeders must be constantly dedicated and rededicated to the fact that the most important thing a dog can be is man's best friend. It's so profound because it's so obvious, like it's the most used statement. But I love that she says we have to be constantly dedicated and rededicated because yeah, you fall down, you get up, you get bored, you got to get back into it. Like there's all these obstacles along the way that force us in and out. But I think also that we are here to continue to create something that is man's best friend. And that kind of leads to the second point, which a breeder's responsibility to other breeders is just as important as a breeder's responsibility to the public. And I wanted to mention that because, again, Pat is so profound and articulate. I think I'm breeding litters because I'm looking at, of course, temperament and, of course, health. Those are like a given, right? But I really want to create a beautiful dog. But at the end of the day, 90% of what I create is going into a pet home, again, to become somebody's best friend. So I think it's just so important that we consider what it is that we're doing. 90% of what I do is provide amazing animals to people's lives for 10 to 14 years. So I just wanted to point those two things out. I think that Ingrid's point is really well taken. And I think that it's something that we need to remember that just having a best in show dog doesn't make it a great dog. It doesn't make it a great companion. Another thing that I think that I would expound on what Elliot just said, the function of the dog addresses what the dog looks like, 
look for the hallmarks of the breed. What are the hallmarks of your breed? They're almost always going to be related to the function of your breed, whether your breed was to be a companion or whether your breed was to be a versatile hunting dog. Julie, speak to me about the Cheskies because this is fascinating how this breed was developed, what it was developed to do, and how it impacts their structure and their appearance. Well, it's kind of twofold at this point because in the beginning, Mr. Horak, the creator, wanted to meld the Sealy and the Scotty together to create something that was more amiable to hunt in a pack. So he based his first breedings on character alone and then developed the longer loin within the breed. You know, our hallmark of our breed is the top line. It's almost like a dandyish S shape rise above the loin for going to ground purposes. But still in the Czech Republic and Slovakia, the dogs are used more for tracking and hunting in packs. So the character is still very, very important to the hunting kennels, the working kennels. And the top line is more concentrated on with the confirmation people because it's elegant, it's beautiful. And yes, when a dog goes to ground and you have a longer loin, it's better able to get through the tunnel. And being a little bit iconoplastic too, they're pushing the dirt out from the side rather than under themselves so that they don't get caught in the tunnel. But I think for me as a breeder, I go back to the importance of being a pack member, being able to hunt in a pack, being able to group your dogs together. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin'. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. 
these special prices will not last. So talking about Sky Terriers and their function, the hallmark is long, low, and level. Right. So you have to kind of take in consideration where they're originally from, which is from Isle of the Sky. So think about the environment and what that is. Very rocky, very kind of granite-filled, wet, damp. So you kind of see where the coat kind of comes into play. You know, Sky Terrier is a big dog, really, in a short body. And a lot of people really don't realize it until they look at their teeth. And then they're like, holy smokes, that's a big dog. So the coat has multifunction. One for the weather that's out at Isle of the Sky. So you got cold, damp, whatever. You got dual coat. You got a nice woolly undercoat. You've got the nice harsh coat on the outside. But the coat also helps protect because what they were designed for was to go after the beavers, foxes, and otters. Those are pretty aggressive animals, especially a badger. And if, however, you have to remember the badger in England is smaller than the badger we have here in America. But they're pretty ferocious breed where they'll go get them type of thing. But the Sky Terrier overall is a very analytical thinker. They are not a busy terrier, meaning that they're not going to be out there scurrying around looking for trouble. They're going to sit there and they're going to watch something. And when they don't like it, they're going to be a policeman. They're going to be right up on it type of thing. They too are a breed that does not get sparred. You have to remember, this is a breed that a lot of dogs, they do facial recognition from dog to dog. They can't see their eyes. Dogs want to spar with a sky. Right. And the saying is, you know, you get those little Scotties out there and they're yipping away and the sky's over there looking at them and they say the Scotties will start it. The skies will finish it. Right. So you have to really kind of be aware of what you have for a dog. Now, today, the thing that's kind of getting lost in the breed that I really want to emphasize is the long, low, and level. And in the standard, it says 10 to 20. And they always say it's in proportion. However, you'll see dogs that are currently in the ring that are very long-legged. You can't see that, though, because they've got the coat down. Right. So just because they're bigger, don't think they're more ferocious. They might have a little more leg under them, and that's probably why they move very smoothly. So the goal is to get a dog that's really low, but yet still has that leveled flowing movement. I mean, I hope that kind of enlightens you guys on the Sky Terrier. What Elliot was really asking about was the piece from the book that speaks to the function of the dog. And we say all the time, form follows function, but I don't think we really understand what that means. And what it means to me is that the breed's history, the breed's original function informs what their form will be. In other words, a Sky Terrier needs a specific form to do a specific function that is different than what a Chesky Terrier needs. And the Otter Hound is different than the Foe. So all of these things, all of which are different than the Basenji because they have different forms because they did different functions. And I think that's one of my big takeaways that I would share. And I think it was a great point that Elliot made. Function and what a dog does is informed by its structure, but it is also informed by its heart, by its mind, by its desire, by its soul. So I come from a very competitive, hardcore, still hunting, regular hunting dog, plus competing in field trials dog, okay? My breed does everything. And 
we have dual champions. We have a very high percentage of dual champions. And we have dogs that do the work. And the dogs that do the work at a very, very high level, many times don't meet the standard. Not always, but, but consistently. And the difference is here. It is their desire. And so I talk all the time about how important it is to have a field dog, a hunting dog, a working dog that is properly constructed and has the heart and has the desire and has the brain. If you have those together, you have the perfect storm. You have that dog that will work into its dotage instead of breaking down by the time it's eight. But as you are thinking about your breeding plans, decide what your goal is. What is your goal? Is your goal to have a best in show dog? Then for that. Is your goal to have this or that or the other thing? Then breed for that. Have a goal is the most important part. Because, you know, the German wire-haired pointer is one of the very few breeds in this country that's still actually doing what it was bred to do. There aren't very many standard schnauzers running around killing rats. And there aren't very many Great Danes out there knocking down boars. And there aren't very many Sky Terriers going to ground after badgers. So that's like not a thing that's done. You know, the sporting group, some of the herding dogs, a few of the hounds, realistically, are the only ones left with the jobs that they were originally designed to do. She mentions about how with elk hounds, if you sent the elk hound out to keep a moose at bay, the moose doesn't care what the elk hound looks like. So that goes back to her non-flashy point. Like as long as the dog could do the job it was bred to do, she would always say that she loved her plain Janes because as long as they were structurally and physically sound, that they could go out and do that job. The moose doesn't care what the elk hound looks like. The elk hound and the owner hunter cares that that dog could go and perform its task and keep the moose at bay until the hunter could get there. Thank you yeah. guys. I sure appreciate everything. Take care. Bye. 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 As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.